All right. We are in a seven-week series looking at some of the main mountains mentioned in the Bible. You read these things in Bible stories, and, and most of the time we don't even pay attention. It's just usually a hard word that we don't even know if we're, if we're pronouncing it correctly, and we just kind of move on. But, but the reality is, man, there's seven, there's seven main mountains that God just continued to use. So anyway, God uses these, these seven main mountains like, like this for different events throughout the history or throughout his story. And, and, and we came up with this idea of mountains because, you know, as Christ followers, you and I have these, what we call in, in America, in American Christianity, these mountaintop experiences, right? It's like the church camp moment where you're there and I mean, you're just excluded from the world. And, and man, God just shows up and he speaks and you're like, oh, I will never sin again. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be the perfect kid. And, or you go to a conference of some kind and, and man, it's just amazing because they got these you know, these really good speakers, and they, they spend all this money to get Toby Mack to come in and lead worship, and, and you know, and it's just, oh man, it's, it's awesome. Like we, we, hopefully as a Christ follower, you've had that moment. You've experienced that, hopefully more than once. But back then, there's little valley moments too, right? I mean, let's be real. There's a, there's a lot of time spent in the valley. There's a lot of time where it's dry. It's a lot of time where it's stressful. There's a lot of times where, I mean, there's just some uncertainty in life. And if God reveals his glory on the mountain, man, he shows his patience. He shows his mercy to us. He shows his, his kindness to us in the valley moments. Now, he doesn't keep us. He never stops us from going into the valley. He allows those moments. But it's in those moments, right, that, that God demonstrates his, his mercy to us. And so today, we move from Mount Moriah. We talked about Mount Moriah last week. That's where Abraham goes up and, and, and God gave the command of, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to offer him up. That's what the command is. Offer him as a burnt offering. And, and we're not have time to, to rehash that whole sermon. But, but Abraham had the confidence in God, in the promises that he knew that he was going to walk up there with his son Isaac and they were going to come back down. He knew that and the text tells us that. So we were at Mount Moriah last week. Today we move over to Mount Sinai. And here's the crazy thing. In, in one week's time, I'm talking about one mountain to the next mountain, 600 years have passed, over 600 years have passed since God first spoke to Abraham promise of his bloodline becoming a great nation. 600 years. God's timing rarely, if ever, lines up with our timing. Like, 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 we, like we put God in this little box right here and we think, okay, I'm going to pray about something it's going to happen and it's going to happen right now when I'm praying about it. God told Abraham, yeah, you're going to be a great nation over 600 years. <clears throat> goes by before we even get to the nation part. And so if you don't know much about geography when it comes to 
Uh, I know this will be hard to read because of the size of our TVs, uh, but we've got a map of where Mount Sinai is. So if you kind of see the body of water, Mount Sinai is at the southern tip of almost the southern tip of this peninsula that sticks out. And in that peninsula, right, if you wait for it, that's the Sinai Peninsula. And, and so if you kind of follow that line just north, straight up of, of the center of the screen, back to the left, that's Egypt. That's where the people came from. Right, and so then you've got one of those bodies up there. That's the Red Sea. That's the one that got parted, and, and the people went across. And had they just taken a left, they, they just kind of would have walked on up into the Promised Land. But nope, uh, they took a right, and now they're in the wilderness. And God has led them down to Mount Sinai, which is also known in some upcoming stories, Mount Horeb, and it's also known. As the mountain of God. That's what Sinai, uh, that's what this mountain is referred to. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. The story of Mount Sinai is found in Exodus 19 through 24. And there's so many cool things that take place in this story. There's so many details that, that I know that I personally have forgotten about this story. But we begin with the Israelites arriving, they've been wandering for some time now, and they get to the base of Mount Sinai, and 19 is all about some instructions, and we don't have time to cover all that today, but this is super important for where we're going. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, this is God talking, all right, not Michael, God. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I want you to make sure you catch some very important phrases in there. Some things that God is saying to Moses. You, he's referring to to the people that he just freed from slavery. You are my treasured people. You're my treasured possession. Among all the peoples. We, we, we got, if you've got some time in the fellowship hall, we kind of have a book that is laid out over the course of, of two tables. It's 16 feet in length. It's a timeline of the world. And, and, and what you see, if you go back and you study this, it is the upcoming civilizations that are around the world. It's, this isn't, you know, the Egyptians and the Israelites are not the only people inhabiting earth right now. There, there's other civilizations, civilizations popping up. And so God is saying to this group right here, you are my treasured possession among all the peoples. But the earth is mine. And then he says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That's what you're going to be. A couple days ago, y'all were slaves. And then you were nomads. Let me tell you what's coming. You are going to be a kingdom of priests. You are going to be a holy nation, a nation that is set apart from all other people groups. And God says, this is my covenant. And so that's the covenant that he is making with Abraham's bloodline. You guys are going to be really special. 
Now, I gotta say this before we before we say anything else. I want you to understand the order of what is taking place in the life of the Israelites. Okay? Because we, we kind of read through this and we, we don't capture it in, in our minds because it's not spelled out nice and simple to us. Okay? Grace comes before rescue or salvation, which comes before obedience. Because we're about to dive into the Ten Commandments. And in American Christianity, there's this thought process that I earn my way into, into heaven. That's not the order, church. The grace comes first. The people were in bondage. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And to this point in, in, in their lives, okay, this was their destiny. It's all they ever knew. Slavery. They didn't know there was anything else. And then God shows up. That's grace. The unmerited gift of the divine favor. So there's grace. That happens. Now comes the rescue. God comes down and he uses this guy by the name of Moses. And he goes, you're going to walk in there and you're going to tell Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world. He ain't the most powerful man in the world. And you're going to tell him that we're going to let my people go. And he's going to fight back. And Moses made all kinds of excuses. We can get into all that kind of stuff over there. He's, going, he's not going to want to do this, but don't you worry about it. You just tell him that I am is with you. And then the rescue mission happened. Salvation took place. Grace comes before salvation. And then God frees him. And they march up out of there. And they take gold, man, like, like there's the Passover thing, and, 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 and man, like all the Egyptians are sad. They've lost cows, they've lost livestock, man, and, and they've lost family members. And, and the Israelites who had the blood of the Passover lamb, they're like, well, dang, that's pretty cool. And so they're just like, we're going to walk out of here, and we're going to take your gold with us. And so they flee. And then Pharaoh has this change of heart. He chases them down, and God does this incredible miracle where he just does, you know, the whole dead man's float with Pharaoh and his army. We haven't had one commandment yet. There's, there's not been rules for the people to follow. And yet he's already saved them. He's already demonstrated his grace. He's already rescued them. And we haven't even got to, I want you to live a certain way with, by these rules. We've got to see this, church. You understand that God never changes. It's the same today for you and I. Grace, His grace, comes before our salvation. Then comes our obedience. And here's the thing. The Israelites weren't good and then God showed up. Alright? Like, like, that's not how it worked. It's not like this generation of Israelites in slavery finally was good enough to get God's attention. That's not how it works. You can't be good and then God shows up with His favor on your life. That's not how it works. You are who you are, and, and I know I get this. I get this when I say it this way, but it's true. We're all a bunch of wretched sinners. And I'm going to point it out to you in just a minute. We're, we're, we're all a bunch of wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And God said, I love you so much. Here's my grace. I'm going to send my son 
be the sacrifice. And it's a response to that that we obey. And so the people are saved from bondage. And now, God wants to set these people up as a holy nation. Alright? I want you to, like, like the, the promised land, it's full of people. But we're going to march in there and we're going to kick them out. And then I'm going to establish you as my holy people in this group right here in this land. And by the way you live, you're going to be an example to all the other nations. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, we want what they got. What do y'all have? Well, we got Jehovah God. He gave us this list of rules and how we're to live our lives. And we do. You want some of this? That was the plan. But before we get to the Ten Commandments, we actually got to jump ahead several thousand years. Jump with me to Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. <clears throat> Y'all heard this before. Teacher. They're asking Jesus. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, we're trying to trap him, right? That's what they're trying to do. Pharisees trying to get him. And they're testing him. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Please, 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 please. For today, do not miss verse 4. The entire, I did a word study. Do you know what entire means? Yeah, of course you do. It means what you think it means. Everything. It's all inclusive. Every single one of them. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There are 613 total commands that make up the Mosaic law. It starts with the first ten, right? And people added to it, okay? It got, it's complicated how it works out. But Jesus' words are, everything in the entire law, all the demands of the prophets, they're based on the two commands that I am to love God with the entirety of who I am. And that I am to love my neighbor as I do myself. And this is important for us to understand the structure of these commands. God, self, neighbors. Because we're about to jump into the Ten Commandments. And you're going to see that flow right there. The entire law. When I was in middle school, I told you, man, I grew up beer capital of the world at the time, Arcade, Georgia, seven beer stores and package store, and uh, there was a city hall. That's, that's where I grew I grew up on a farm, a chicken farm, um, and we bought this farm from some people called, their names were the Lavenders, D and Barry Lavenders. Well, I would say we, I was like seven, right? Like I didn't, I didn't break my piggy bank open to buy anything, all right? I was just alone for the ride. And my parents literally shipped us off 
to Florida because we did that every summer. We went and stayed with the grandkids, uh, grandkids, with the grandparents. And I did the thing down there, and we came back, and it's like, whoa, we're not pulling up the Ray Drive in Conyers, Georgia anymore, where I got my friends. We're now sitting on, like, there's trees and there's animals around. Like, what, what happened here? Like, we, 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 like, you know, Twilight Zone stuff is happening here. Well, my parents decided over the course of the summer to buy a farm. Now, we had gone and looked at hey, I can't get in all that stuff. All right. We're now at this farm. Right? And D. Ladner invites us to church. What's church? And she's like, I, never, I, I like went to one DBS in my entire life up to that point. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go to church. Nobody else in the family wants to go to church. I'm the reason that the rest of my people are even Christians. You know, it just it's right, it's right, it's right here. You know, thank you, thank you, Lord. I'm just kidding. Right? All right. <laughs> They'll hear this and argue, I promise you. All right, so we're going to church, and it's a small country church. All right? And this is in the 80s. You got to know it. You got to think 80s right now. And so we're going, and, and back then, you know, life was church, everything. There were no travel balls. There were no, you know, social stuff. I mean, you, like, went to school. You got on the bus. You went home. You know, I mean, you played with your friends, but I didn't have any friends because my dad owned all the property on, on our whole side of the road. And so, you know, you shot acorns at your brother with a slingshot. That's, I mean, that's what we did for fun, that kind of stuff. And, and, and then you went to church. And every time the church doors were open, you went to church. So that was my life. And Wednesday nights, for one little part of the year, the youth group always participated in these little musicals. And it started with the high school kids and the middle school kids, and then we'd bring in the cute, you know, little kids, because they were always a good addition to come. And that's the real reason people came, was for the little kids, right? And so there was this, and some of y'all may remember this, all right? I don't want to scare anybody with what's about to happen, okay? But we had two musicals by Salty the Songbook, all right? And so there was this character, because they had speaking parts, right? Some of y'all remember this, you had speaking parts. Somebody dressed up like Christopher Plank, like painted his face blue, and he got in a little book like this, and he was the main show, he was the, he was the main guy in the show, right? And then we all had lines and parts and everything. Well, I learned the Ten Commandments, thanks to Salty, the songbook. Because one of the songs was the perfect hymn. Alright, now I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to play it. Alright, so this is how I learned the Ten Commandments, right here, Jefferson, Georgia.
There it is. All right. So I know what you're thinking right now. You just heard that. I know what you're thinking. How do I get that added to my playlist? You just see Caleb, man. He will make that available to you, and you can go down the road, and you can listen to the perfect 10 on and on and on and on and on. That's how I memorized it. And to this day, like Jackie Hall, I wish she was here today, because she, she and I were sitting back there last week at the night of worship, and, and I, I asked her, I said, you ever heard of perfect 10? She said, you mean salty? And I'm like, oh, yeah, she goes, that's how I memorize the Ten Commandments. To this day, if you ask me, Michael, what's a commandment, you know, one through, I'm going to sing that song in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I do it. All right, so turn with me, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read the account of God saying to his people, here's your part of the covenant. Here's the response to the things that I've done. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people, please don't miss what takes place next. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. Fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, before we get to the Ten Commandments, I want to focus our attention on verses 18 through 21. You need to know what it is that God is saying to Moses. In Exodus chapter 19, it's not going to come up on the screen, I don't think, but it's verse 9. You can go back and you can read it. God speaks to Moses, and he says to him that I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear 
me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. See, I, I, I thought it was like we're over here having our little party down here. Moses is making a bunch of trips up and down, and he's getting the Ten Commandments, that kind of stuff, and then he comes and he delivers them. No, the story is that God has assembled everybody to a barrier just out, outside the base of Mount Sinai, and he, his command is, I'm going to speak. I'm going to come down to the mountain. It's going to be thunderous. There's going to be a lot of smoke. There's going to be fire. And I'm going to speak. And the people are going to hear me. It's not like we had to get, you know, the Ten Commandments for dummies and pass it around or, 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 or you know, get the, get the Cliff Notes version of the Ten Commandments and pass it around so everybody knew what was going on. No, they heard God. They heard God speak. And if you haven't done so, I encourage you, on, on your own time, go read chapters 21, 22, and 23. There's some really cool things that happen. And all in all, in it, Moses climbs that mountain eight different times. And so the Ten Commandments are spoken for everybody to hear. Now, let's break these down. Okay, First three commandments. They are all about our relationship with God. I know some people are going to lump in number four. Okay? I'll explain why I'm not. Okay? <coughs> First three commandments, my relationship with God. We're going to walk through these again and then talk about each one in just a second. The fourth commandment, that's all about us. It's all about me. That's, that's, that's all about some, some self-care, if you will. That's a thing. You'll understand in a minute. And then the last six commandments are about our relationships with other people. Alright? Now here's what's extremely fascinating to me. And, and I remember the moment that I was challenged with this. And I challenge you to do the same thing. That when you read from the Word of God, look at it through the lens of relationship. God is always concerned about relationship. Relationship with him, relationship with you. And when I started reading this, as I started reading the Bible through this, this lens of relationship, I, I, I started to see that every time we turn around and every time you, you, you read a passage and you think about it, God is concerned about relationships that are taking place. And I think it makes sense when Jesus is cornered and said, what's the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because everything else, all the laws, have to do with love. And I don't know if you know anything about love, but if it's just me and I'm isolated, I'm a hermit, you know, living somewhere in a, you know, northwest Montana, off the grid where nobody can bother me, I'm not practicing or demonstrating love. I'm by myself. Love is only lived out with people in relationship. I mean, I've shared this story with you. I've got family members that live in England, and, and of course we're going to say, I love you. I've not spoken to them in years. Is that really love? There's no relationship there. I mean, sure, if we have a layover in London, we may call them up, let's get some fish and chips, whatever, hit a little pub, you know, something. And, 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 but but there's, no, there's no relationship. 
so it's interesting to me that God's desire is to set up his treasured people. It's a holy nation. He's going to establish this nation. And, and what does he give them? Ten rules to obey. That have everything to do with relationships. He didn't say, okay, here's some policy on foreign affairs. You know, we're going to set you up over here, and, and you're going to be in the middle. There's going to be the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Par Perizzites. The, there's going to be all these ites, ites, ites all around you. Here's how you interact with them. We, we get to that. But we're talking about the foundation. We're, we're, we're talking about that this is the core of who we are. He, he didn't give them rules on taxes. Again, we get to some of these things, not taxes necessarily, but obviously giving to him. There's not a lot of rules that have to do with anything else other than relationships. So he gave three commandments and how we're to approach our relationship with him. The one commandment for us and then six commandments and how we're to approach our relationship with one another. I started reading Philippians with a couple of guys and uh, we got a Philippian series coming up, and I was just jotting down some stuff. And that led me to some other things. Did you know that 59 times, 59 times in the New Testament, we are told to one another, one another, <laughs> love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another? 59 times. We are told to one another, one another. God is deeply concerned about how we treat one another. So, let's look at it. Alright, let's start. Commandment number one. This is in verse three, if you're looking. Billy, pay attention. <laughs> you will have no other gods before me. Martin Luther says that if we got this one right, all the others fall in place naturally. Have no other gods before me. In, in the Deep South, we don't, uh, for the most part, have a lot of other gods mentioned in our culture, right? Like, like next week, we're going to be at Mount Carmel, and, and that's the showdown between Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. We're going to talk about Baal. We're going to talk about all that Baal represents. We, we don't have a lot of conversations about Greek mythology and, and all the other, other gods that are out there, right? The number one god for us, the number one god that we place before Jehovah is me. You. You place yourself before Jehovah. I place myself. The number one god that we place on the throne instead of is myself because I make my life about me and I sprinkle in and I allow God to be part of and we're all guilty of it. Oh yeah, before I proceed, I forgot to say, it's not written down, but I thought about it this morning coming in. Hey, we don't need to look at this with the mindset of binoculars. Right? Like, oh, oh. Uh, yep. Oh, yeah, I see. Yep, just broke number three, number seven. Yeah, we don't need to do that. We need to look at this 
with a mirror. I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff about me. I'm probably going to let you down today. I'm going to let you down a lot of days, but I'm going to let you down. You're going to like, I'm probably over 10 here in a minute. All right, we look at this with a mirror. What am I seeing as I go through this? Do we, do you ever make something else more important than God? Uh, number two, this is found in verse four. You are to have for yourself no idols of any kind. Now, I don't know anybody that just worships any idols, okay? Uh, maybe you, maybe you, maybe, I don't know, do you? I mean, around here, we, we don't worship animals. We don't worship tigers or elephants, for that matter, <laughs> right? Like, like, like we, we, we never bow down or raise our hands and chant silly slogans in large crowds of people. We never greet one another with silly for old time. <laughs> See there? That's culture. War eagle, baby. Yeah. And you know, just because the Auburn people got it right, like we got to add a little explicit in there too. Like we got to, we really got to drive it home. It's not just war eagle, but it's war eagle. You know, yeah, yeah. No one here bows down to the mighty dog. Not one of us. No one places a higher value on family than God. That never happens. You are not to have any idols of any kind before the Lord. Number three is verse seven. Do not use the name of the Lord in vain. Church, this is so much more than, than saying some curse words and adding God's name to them. Taking the Lord's name in vain happens when we, as His children, choose to live as children of the world. This isn't about slipping up and sinning. That happens. We do this. This is about me knowing what honors God and then choosing to do something different. That is what taking the Lord's name in vain. Instead of how would be his name, well, I know this honors God, but I'm going to do this anyway. It's not just about let me just say a word or two, or, or, or when I smash my finger, I say, oh Lord, or mm, whatever. It's not about that. That's included in it, certainly. But it's when I know what is correct. And I still choose to do the opposite of what honors God. I am taking His name in vain as an image bearer of Him. Fourth commandment, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep holy. So the first three are all about this relationship with God. This one's about us. It says, for six days you shall labor and work. And then one day a week needs to be set aside as Sabbath to the Lord. You rest. You feed that relationship. Self-care, it's a thing, right? Now in our society, and you know, people got to have spa days, and people got to have me days, and, and you know, people got to have this, I've got to have a break from all the chaos. I got, you know, there's family drama, and there's work drama, and there's this drama, and there's drama, 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 drama. God said, I gave you a day every single week. You just choose not to participate. Paul goes on to explain, hey, no one day is more holy than the other day. So 
So it's not like it's got to be Saturday or from Friday evening when the sun goes down till Saturday evening, because that would be the technical, you know, uh, Sabbath. Right? So, I mean, Sabbath is not Sunday when we were here. And all that. Sabbath is a dedicated time that you quit working, that you quit doing a bunch of things, and you just rest in the Lord. And here's the thing. It enhances the relationships. Because relationships are hard. And relationships are messy. And sometimes, you know what, we just, we need a period of time where we just kind of step back and we are rejuvenated and that is done in the Lord. There are incredible, we did a whole series on Sabbath and so we can't get into it today, but I highly encourage you, if you are not keeping a Sabbath, if you're not participating in a Sabbath day, you need to do it. And guess what? No becomes your best friend. Saying no, and it's okay. It's absolutely okay. Unless I'm talking. Then it's we We need Sabbath. How are we doing? Everybody 4 no right now? We got anybody in here taking Sabbath every week? We got anybody, you know, no idols, no mo nobody? Okay. Alright. And then it flips. This is commandment number five, verse twelve. Honor your father and your mother. And here's the thing, and this is so much more than disrespect. Because I, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know, some people just come from terrible families. Now, they just, they, there's this, this terrible upbringing. And, and how do you justify honoring these people who, who raised you in such a worldly way that, that they feel like they deserve it? And you, you, you battle with yourself. And here's the thing that I came to. There's a clear difference between respecting people and honoring people. We should honor them no matter what. If you have grown up in just a crummy situation with just terrible parents, you still, everything I've studied, are expecting to honor them. Now, you don't disrespect them, okay? You don't talk bad about them. You, you, you don't put them on a pedestal and pretend that they're something more than they're not. That, that's certainly not it. But honor comes from a place of value. Honor comes from a place of love. And maybe forgiving them right now is how you honor them. Maybe you're growing up in a Christian home. You, you honor right now by being obedient. Kids in the room right now. That's how you honor your mom and dad. That you are obedient to them while you live in their house because they are providing you with so much more and you realize. So we're to honor our mother and our father. And then we get to verse 13. This is commandment number six. Do not murder. Alright, now finally, you me, right? Right about here. We we start to feel a little bit better about ourselves. Like, alright, I'm off. I'm over five. I now got one in the wind column over here, right? Right? Like, 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 ain't no murdering taking place. <laughs> and then Jesus comes along. If you even get angry, it is like committing murder in your hearts. 
Are you kidding me? Like, come on, Jesus. I finally got one of the ten. I haven't murdered anybody. But now you're saying if I get angry with anybody, that's like committing murder, and so it counts. I've never murdered anyone on the Beltline, church. Never. Not once. <laughs> not once have I ever murdered anybody at Modus Road where those people still do not use the acceleration lane. I've never murdered them. I've never, it's going to be tough to say, I've never murdered my children. Not one time. <laughs> never. This one time I ran out of gas. Man, I was just recently married. I was working for her dad. I was working at UPS in the morning, and then I was between school, and I, and I was working for her dad kind of as a temp thing, and so I had to drive down to uh, North Atlanta from Gainesville, and uh, I don't know what happened, you know, negligence, I don't know. We, we, we kind of have talked about this in the past, but I ran out of gas. Now, it happens, right? And so I'm on 985, uh, coming from uh, uh, Gainesville South into merging to 85, and there's Buford, and this was back before the Falcons, all that kind of stuff moved out there. Anyway, there was, there was the ne one more exit, so I had to walk about half a mile of the exit, and I took a left, that was the closest gas station. I walked up to the gas station, and I'm like, Got my wallet. <laughs> and so I walk in and I tell the guy my situation. I'm like, look, man, I'm so sorry. I, I ran out of gas and then I left my wallet. And I can I borrow a gas can and a couple of gallons? And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I'm gonna come and I'm going to pay for my gas. And he's like, I gotta have some collateral. And I'm like, oh, he's like, but I don't have anything. Those sunglasses look pretty nice. Now, I love my sunglasses, just so you know. Like, if I had one luxury item, it would be sunglasses, okay? Like, like that's the thing. I, I don't like walking out to my truck from this church without putting my sunglasses on. I just, I don't like it. And I'm like, oh, sunglasses. Hmm, it's a long walk back. So I'm like, okay. So I gave them, and they're nice, nice sunglasses, right? So I gave them to them, got my gas, I walked back, Everybody that passed me as I'm carrying a can of gas. Pretty sure I murdered them. <laughs> and then I got there, put the gas in the car, drove back to the gas station, paid the man, and he's wearing my sunglasses. And I'm like, it just like set me out. Like, I know that was the collateral. Like, I know that was the agreement, but like, you don't have to be wearing my sunglasses. And then I had to ask for him, murdered him. Right, right there, murdered him. And then it gets better because later on that night, we're going to Amanda's parents' house and we have to pass right by this same exact intersection, the same place. And as I'm telling the story to Amanda, the car in front of me, right next to the gas station, hits its brakes and I rear in this car, totaling the, our car. Murdered that guy, too. <laughs> We can do this like all day. Like I mean, like we can just keep going on. I was at youth ministry, right? Like I used to get mad at the people in the church, and people in the church used to get mad at me. I know, and it's just that's that's the the, the relationship <laughs> that we have, right? And and I used to go to the Franklin's gun range. I'm not proud of this. I, I'm not stopping right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you get angry towards other people 
you're committing murder in your heart, over six. And then we get to this one, verse uh, number seven, which is verse 14. Do not commit adultery. And, and, and this is a deep one. This is so much more than making it all the way with someone, making it to home base. It's so much more than that. This is any time you make a commodity of someone else. If you use someone else for your own personal satisfaction, then you have committed adultery. Because here's the thing, church. Especially, I mean, the, 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 the number of people that view pornography is mind-blowing. In, the, in this room, we got like, you know, first four or five rows right here. Everybody else, you watch porn. You look at images where you treat people as commodities. That is the number in our country right now. And it's really not that much better in the church. People look at, it, people look at pornography and they look at soft porn and they, they, they look at you know whatever all the time. And any time you look at an image, any time you treat a person as a commodity, you are committing adultery. Because here's the thing. That's not an image on a screen. That's not a video. That's a child of God. Whether they've surrendered their life or not, that is is a child of God. And I am looking at that so that I may receive pleasure. Number eight, verse 15, you shall not steal. All right, we feel good about this, right? Let's get that. Okay. You shall not steal. I don't steal. I don't take things that aren't mine. Like, I've never once sat in my office while I'm on the clock and, you know, played fantasy football. I, I've, never, I've never been at work in my cubicle or in my office. I've, I've never Instagrammed. I've, I've, I've never done anything for me. No, not once. I don't steal. Oh, IRS. They'll never know. Change a little fudge number here, fudge number here. No, not me. Don't steal. Never. Yeah. We don't lie either, because that's the next one. Commandment number nine, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right? I remember last week I told you about the little white lie incident. You know, sitting there in my minister's kitchen with his wife, about to go work at somebody's house in the church. It's a fundraiser. And it's one of those people that we were told at the church potlucks, man, you don't eat their stuff because, man, their stuff, yeah, that person right there. And so it was just telling you full, telling you don't eat. It's a little white lie, it's no big deal. Lying is like the absolute quickest way to break trust. And at the end of the day, lying is lying. Whether it's a little white lie or it's a big whale of a lie, lying is lying. And we've all done it. 
And I proved this point not too long ago when I asked how many of you actually read the end user agreement on the website that you visit. Did you read all this legal documentation and do you accept it? You don't read that. Nobody reads that. You just hit accept so you can move on with your life. Liars. <laughs> just lied. And then verse, commandment number 10, verse 17. Just do not covet your neighbor's house or wife. And if you read this in the Hebrew, it says, or motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> or platinum F350. <laughs> Can I get an amen in the back row? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I believe that HGTV is the number one cause of covetousness <laughs> in our country right now. Man, all these homes being remodeled, and then y'all watch it, and then suddenly, you know, your Corian countertops aren't good enough. You've got to get an upgrade, right? Granite countertops, those are going to be the thing that makes my life complete. I got to have a pallet wall in my house. Oh my goodness, right now. And for some of you, man, you just want the husband that knows how to do all the stuff that the dads know how to do. That's, that's the real truth. I, mean, I just wish I was married to a guy that had that kind of stuff right there. And here's the thing. Comparison, comparison is one of the fastest relationship killers. And when I'm coveting other things, I'm not being content with what I have. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting here and I'm being consumed by what other people have when, when God's like, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, but I mean, your grace, yeah, I mean, I know your grace is sufficient for me, but a new truck, man, it's not 18 years old, would, would be much better. No, Michael, my grace is sufficient for you. And so church, God gave this list to the people. He said, run with it. Live this way. The covenant is that, that I'm going to set you up as a holy nation. That's my side. Your side is that you take these ten things and you live them out to the fullest of your ability. And you're going to be, you, my treasured people, you will be an example to all other nations if you live within these expectations. You're going to be an example to them. Do these things not to earn my favor, God says, but in response to what has already been done for you. And so let me ask you, family, do you respond in the same way? I mean, do, you, do you see God's commands that he's spoken to us? Do you see them as a roadmap for you to live in relationship with other people and relationship with him? It's not this checklist of things that I've got to get up and do. I'm going to read a Bible verse in just a, just a second. I'm going to read a Bible verse. These things shouldn't be burdensome. They should be in direct response to the grace and the salvation that has been offered to you. And church, this is why our mission as a church hinges on relationships, that we are committed to loving God and loving people in relationship. 
Because we want to live this out as God's treasured people. So the Bible is full of things to enhance the relationships and how we treat one another. But we're not a holy nation. Our nation is crumbling. You're absolutely right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, real quick. I'm going to read this. Peter, writing to the church. Christians everywhere. But you are not like that, pagans. For you are a chosen people. Church, you are chosen this morning. You are a, you are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. This is not the Old Testament. This is not at the base of Mount Sinai. This is spoken to you today. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Oh yeah, there's a lot of parallels to what took place at Mount Sinai. Once you had no identity as a people. Now, you're God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You, church, are the holy nation. The covenant is for you today. You are his treasured possession. That he wants you to, in response to the things that he has done for you, he wants you to live with this. And in doing so, draw people to him. 1 John chapter 5, I'm closing with this. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome when it's a response, when you understand the love that He has for you. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the grace that came before salvation that certainly comes before my obedience. It's there. It's there for me. Lord, I pray that my obedience always is a direct response to the the marvelous grace that you have lavished upon me. So God, I pray that I can read a list of, of, of commandments that you've given to us, and I pray that just living these out living these out is not some burdensome checklist that I think I've got to hit everything. So God, my prayer is that as a church that believes in relationship, that believes that loving you first and loving our neighbor as we do ourselves, as a church that believes this, Father God, that this will only enhance our efforts to honor you all the more. Love you, Lord. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.